2: com slash sacred text today to get ten percent off your first month. That's better h e l p dot com slash sacred text. Chapter three The Burrow Ron breathed Harry, creeping to the window and pushing it up so they could talk through the bars. Ron, how did you what the Harry's mouth fell open as the full impact of what he was seeing hit him. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Jolie Doggett. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Jolie, we, as always, are so excited to have you on the podcast. Can you tell everybody a little bit about what you do when you are not guesting on Harry Potter and the Sacred Text?
1: I am a senior editor of multicultural content at a site called Medium, and I am also a senior editor of Zora, which is a publication for, by, and about women of color. Basically, I read and I write things for a living, and I talk about the things I care about, like books, and the Golden Girls, and the Gilmore Girls, and Dragon Ball Z for Matt, who is not here, (laughs) (laughs) and other nerdy things, and yeah, that's
2: what I do. And today, the nerdy thing you're going to talk about is Harry Potter. Yes. And the theme that you picked is friendship. I sure did. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a story to jump us off on this theme.
1: Yeah. I have been wondering whether or not I am a good friend. I recently moved to a state where I know absolutely no one. And I did this on purpose. I purposely isolated myself because I wanted to live around trees and I saw a house I liked and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go there and be there for a little while. And I haven't invited any of my friends to come visit me at all this year, but it's because my house isn't ready. So friends, if you're listening, I just don't have a place for you to sleep yet. I apologize. My friends are really good. They're really awesome. They're really smart. They're really funny. They're really beautiful. They're really generous and kind. I cannot imagine my life without them. However, I don't think I match their level of enthusiasm or energy or effort into our friendships. Like, I am not going to call you. I'm one of those millennials who does not pick up the phone or answer voicemails. I will barely text. I will never email. I don't leave my house for any reason whatsoever. I'm not great at getting gifts. And like, I won't even like your Instagram pictures because I'm not on the internet like that unless I have to be for work. But one of my friends recently reached out to me and apologized to me for not being so present in my life. And I was like, what are you even talking about? So I called her. It was like, what are you even talking about? And we ended up talking for like seven hours and just talking about nothing. And it was like whatever wall I imagined was between us, like it just completely disappeared and didn't exist. And it made me realize that maybe my anxiety about not spending enough time with my friends or doing enough things for my friends isn't actually what makes a good friendship. So that's what I want to discuss as we read this chapter and talk about the books as a whole is what makes a friendship a friendship? Is it proximity? Is it quality time? Is it acts of service? Is it spending time together physically? Is it having things in common? Is it a crisis? Or is it simply the choice to say, hey, we are friends and we love each other no matter what, no matter how many unanswered texts or phone calls or letters, in Harry's case, go by. And yeah, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the anxiety of friendship and what is the actual definition.
2: I think there's so much anxiety around friendship now. I feel like I've accidentally cut friends out because I don't use Facebook Messenger, right? Technology is both a way to connect and it's also a way to miss one another. And I think you're exactly right. We see that with Ron and Harry. But the genius of Ron is that he uses that missed connection As an impetus to get in touch. And Harry,
1: like myself, just sat in his anxiety. Is just like, oh, well, this is it, I guess. Just not having friends anymore. It's too much trouble.
2: (laughs) Well, we're going to explore that because I think Harry shows a lot of signs of being a friend who reaches out. And I would like to say that I know why I consider you a friend, but we can save that for the theme conversation.
1: Okay, I'm excited for that too. I want to talk about that because when Vanessa calls me a friend, like I immediately, I get anxious. I'm like, oh, someone else to disappoint. But yeah, (laughs) let's talk about it. You've never disappointed me. Not once.
2: So (laughs) start now. You can start now. Okay. Okay. You cannot disappoint me by counting me in for the 30 second recap. I'll go first today. All right. On your mark, get set. So the Weasleys come and they break Harry out. Fred and George go and they use just like a regular, you know, like bobby pin in order to get down and get all of Harry's stuff into the flying car. And they fly over to the burrow and Molly is so upset and she is looks like a jaguar. She's so mad and she punishes all the boys and she has them denome the garden. And then Mr. Weasley comes home and is like, oh, my God, you took the flying car. How cool is that? And Harry goes up to Ron's room and he's like, this is the best house I've ever seen in my life
1: wow you did it i'm glad you brought the bobby pin because that was really important to me like where did this bobby pin come from why did they have it Just after i right. love it
2: <laughs> i mean i miss some key things like jenny who yeah so we still
1: we need you okay i got it okay are you ready i am on your mark get set go Okay, so Harry wakes up from his dream and sees that Ron is at his window with his two twin brothers in a flying car, and they bust Harry out of the house, but Harry forgets Hedwig, who is another woman in the chapter for some reason, which is why Uncle Vernon wakes up in the first place, but they manage to get away. He tells them everything that's been happening with the house elf, and they go to the Weasley's house, the Burrow, and Mrs. Weasley is really upset, but she still feeds Harry lots of eggs and sausages, and then they denome the garden, which made me really uncomfortable, not because of Harry volunteering to denome the garden, but because, like... Denoming sounds really violent. And then Jenny is really scaring me. Learn all about Mr. Weasley's job.
2: (laughs) Oh my God. You got so much that I missed. Yes. (laughs) Hedwig almost gets left behind.
1: The Dursleys are all like hanging out of the window as a family. (laughs) I really wanted to point out Ron's room because like he is not shying away from this redhead thing. Like his walls are orange. His ceiling is orange. The carpet is orange. Like that was really impressive to me. I'm like, way to commit.
2: Okay, well, so do you want to start us off, Julie? Because what you brought us is a, a set of concerns, and I'm wondering where you want to situate that in the chapter.
1: I want to start out with the fact that the very first word in this chapter is Ron, and it's an exclamation point. It's italicized in the book. Like, Harry is, like, truly shocked to see his friend at his window, and not just because he's in a flying car, but because he just did not expect his friendship to, like, overcome the space and time of their separation and I find that to be like a really beautiful moment in their friendship and it's something that we see in the last book and throughout the future books is that part of being a friend is that they are always there for each other even when the other might not think that they should be or may not expect them to be so yeah I just want to get your thoughts on that a little bit.
2: I mean, I think that one of the beautiful things about Ron is that he is so confident in their friendship that he takes Harry's lack of responding to his letters as a reason to be concerned. Mm -hmm. He's like, I know that Harry would absolutely, without a doubt, be responding to me if he could. And so something is amiss. And, you know, Ron does not have telepathic powers, so he doesn't know that what's actually wrong is that Dobby has been stealing the letters, but he still could sense that there was something off. I just admire that confidence in Ron. I'm similar to you in this way. It is not what I would assume. I would be doing some real negative self-talk about how Harry is probably too busy. He's the, you know, the chosen one. And I, I don't know, he's probably off doing important things without me.
1: Ron's friendship is so strong that even Fred and George, who barely spent any time with Harry last year besides having Christmas sweaters in common, like, are risking their mother's punishment to come rescue him as well. And I wanted to talk about, like, friendship within family. Is Fred and George volunteering to come help Ron get Harry part of their friendship with Harry? Or is it part of their friendship with Ron?
2: So I think neither. And I think that they are just game for adventure. <laughs> I think they're like, what do you want to do? That sounds dumb. Count me in. And I think that that can be a gift to a friendship because if you like go through a crisis together, through an extreme experience together, that is a bonding moment. And so regardless of why Fred and George come, the fact is that they do, right? That they support their brother in this really reckless adventure. And I think that it bonds them both with Ron and with Harry in real ways.
1: I also think that that crisis, that trauma also informs Ron's responsibilities in the friendship. He knows what Harry goes through when he's at home. So Mm -hmm. keeping those things in mind, he therefore knows that if Harry's not responding to my letters, it's because the Dursleys have done something messed up, and I need to go help my friend who is entirely alone. And that's probably why my friends continue to reach out to me and invite me to things they know I'll never come to, because they also know I have a tendency to self isolate when i'm going through like anxiety or depression episodes. So they don't take it personally. Maybe friendship is not taking things personally. Yeah, i think i think friendship is
2: is a lot about just assuming good intentions.
1: Yeah. Right?
2: And, like, even Harry was participating in that with Ron and Hermione, right? In the previous chapter when Dobby is like, really? Do you have friends at Hogwarts? You haven't gotten any letters. Harry's first instinct is to be like, well, they're probably busy, you know? Yeah. And then, of course, it turns out that Dobby's a little sneak, but... (laughs) I think that is one of the things that can get friendship through a lot of hard times. I know it has with me is other people assuming good intentions in me. That's true. I will say that Ron's confidence and assuming of good intentions gets him to show up. And in that, he learns so much about Harry, right? Harry is somebody who would reduce his summer to, you know, the muggles were bad again. Mm
1: -hmm. But he's
2: not somebody who lists the traumas of things that have happened to him. And so I feel like it's so important that Ron goes and sees that there are literal bars on the windows. And locks
1: on all of Harry's doors and all of his property. Right, that like Fred and George have to break in
2: to his room and then break out of his room, right? Like, there is just like a physical, bodily experience of Harry's reality that wouldn't have happened if they hadn't been in forced proximity.
1: And that doesn't stop Ron from being his friend. Sometimes I often find that maybe the things I'm going through might be a burden. To my friends mm-hmm. and they're just like, oh, I don't really want to deal with all that. Like they're coming over to hang out and they see bars on my window and like a cat door <laughs> on my door. They're like, What's what's going on in this house? I don't want any parts of that. But Ron, Fred and George are like, Yep, let's do it. Like, this is our friend. We're gonna do whatever it takes. I love that about them.
2: I do too. And that's the thing about Fred and George that I think takes it beyond adventure is they, they climb into the house and risk real danger. Mm-hmm. I can imagine myself being like, leave your school stuff. That's an added level of difficulty to this adventure that I wasn't expecting. Like, my mom and dad will deal with that later. Let's just get you out. Mm-hmm. But instead, they're like, no, we're doing the whole thing and we're doing it right. And it's an impressive Gryffindor amount of courage.
1: You know, Vanessa, if you showed up to my house and you were like, leave your school stuff, we're just going to get the bars, I would understand. I'd be like, yeah, Vanessa doesn't want to risk like breaking and entering into a stranger's home. She just wants me and that's it. And i will be like, okay, cool. That's fine. Maybe friendship is also just that level of understanding the other person's needs and concerns at that time. And limits, right? Mm-hmm. Friendship is also a risk because we just talked about the negative self-talk that Harry or Ron might be going through, like, wondering if their friendship was real or not. And it's a risk of judgment upon yourself, like, bringing Harry to Ron's house, that he is a little embarrassed of, like, he's risking, like, okay, he could deal with the flying car, but can't he deal with the gnomes? Like, friendship is letting people see all of you and just, again, like Vanessa said, assuming good intentions that they are going to love you, not in spite of it, but even because of it. Yeah. Beyond it beyond whatever it is that you show them.
2: And I love that this chapter ends with Ron just being so thrilled that Harry sees the beauty of his house that I suspect Ron does see sometimes, right? Yeah. And so he's like, okay, he gets it, right? There's just this feeling of being seen and seen generously,
1: I could really relate to this chapter when I first read the books when I was about nine years old because I lived in a completely different neighborhood than most of the kids I went to school lived in. And it was a lot of poverty and violence in that neighborhood to the point that, like, we weren't really allowed to invite people over. And even if we did, like, their parents probably wouldn't let them come over because yeah. it just wasn't that safe of a place to be. And I was always, like, really embarrassed of my home. But I still loved my home a lot. Like it was my house and it had all my Powerpuff Girl stuff everywhere. But one of my friends eventually came to visit and I just remember being so anxious. Like, you don't have to do anything. you do not to touch anything. You can really just stand in the middle of the room and not move for the next two days of this weekend and like it'll be fine. But we had so much fun. Like it was never, it wasn't a big deal because they weren't there to see my mismatched furniture or, to really pay much attention to the gunshots in the neighborhood. They were just there to hang out with me, (laughs) you know? And that's all that mattered to them. Like, we just told them they were fireworks. It was fine. (laughs) I mean, the other
2: thing that I think that is vulnerable, right, is, like, being a guest in someone's house. And I think that Mrs. Weasley emerges as, like, the genius of this chapter, in terms Mm -hmm. of managing relationships, right? She is full mom to her kids. And she is not a mom who would describe herself as a friend to her kids, Mm -hmm. right? Like she's like, we're not friends. You are my children. And it is my job to keep you alive and set you up to support yourselves financially and like be (laughs) respectful. And she takes those responsibilities so seriously, and then with Harry, there's just a totally different attitude. And she certainly doesn't treat Harry as one of her own children, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Ron, Fred, and George are in trouble and they have to go in the garden. And Mrs. Weasley says, Harry, dear, you go to bed. It's not your fault that the boys, you know, came to rescue you. But <laughs> I think that even if it had been Harry's fault, she still would have made this exemption. And so I'm wondering if, do we want to classify this relationship As friendship, how would you classify this relationship between Mrs. Weasley and Harry?
1: I think it is possible to be friendly without being friends. Mm -hmm. I'm that on a regular basis to coworkers, to people I meet on the street. I'm a nice person, even to people I don't like that much. Like I can be friendly to you without needing to be your friend, without crossing whatever boundary of a relationship that we have. I know Mrs. Weasley, because of her life experiences, knows how far a little kindness can go. And she is going to share that with Harry, regardless of what their relationship is. Even if Harry can't stand her, because she just yelled at his best friend and his brothers, and he's feeling a little awkward and embarrassed, like, she knows that she still needs to put her most friendly face forward for this child. Harry's a child in this moment, so... And she is the grown-up, and she does what needs to be done here. Mrs. Weasley also knows how to not be friendly, too, which I appreciate about her character. Mm -hmm. As somebody
2: who lived in the dorms and taught, I'm friends with a lot of people who are much younger than I am, Mm -hmm. who are sometimes half my age. And what I admire about Mrs. Weasley is that she is friendly. And like, I do think that Molly and Harry become friends by the end of the book and yet she still acknowledges the generational difference between the two of them and uses that generational difference to feed Harry, to show up for him during the Wizard Tournament, mm-hmm. to support him. She knows it is a friendship or a caring relationship in which more of the burden and more of the responsibility is on her. And I love that.
1: I think that's a good point about friendships, too. Friendships aren't always equal. You know what I mean? Like, the responsibility shifts and changes. There will come a time when Harry needs to show up for Ron. And there have been times when I have needed to show up for my friends despite my discomfort or any levels of anxiety I might feel. Friendships don't have to be entirely equal all the time. It's just about knowing when to show up and when to be supportive. Being supportive is another big part. friendship. I want to take it back to something you said about being a friend is also kind of knowing how to be a guest. Harry is also super polite in this situation. (laughs) I would have just eaten my food and gone to bed. I wouldn't have, (laughs) but like he totally could have and would have been justified in it. Instead, he's like, yeah, I want to help you do your chores. I want to see the whole house. I want to like help you clean. I want to do whatever it takes. I just love that Harry is like Okay, now it's my turn to do something nice. It's like, and it's not even like a conscious, "Oh, we're taking turns." It's just how they feel about each other. It's like, "I just don't want to be away from you right now. I'm just so excited to be in your house." And I just find that to be super sweet for this for this boyfriendship. I love that so much.
2: I do, too. And, it you know, the text says, like, Harry didn't feel sleepy. He felt so awake. Mm-hmm. And it, right. Like, of course he did. Right. Like he, he's running on adrenaline. He was just rescued and went in a flying car with these two older boys who he looks up to and his best friend. Like, who could go to sleep right now? Not me. <laughs>
0: Not me either. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.
2: Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. So should we talk about how complicated this denoming scene yep. is?
1: Yep. Because <laughs> as a friend, if I were having to denome a garden I saw the process, I would be like, One, I don't want to do that. And as my friend, I hope you can respect that. But two, as your friend, I would like to point out how incredibly inhumane it is, what you're doing. And yeah, let's have a discussion as we sit in this lovely garden full of gnomes.
2: I mean, it seems like a moment of like cross-cultural confusion, right? Like, Harry justifies it. Harry is like, I thought it looked really violent, and then a gnome bit my finger, and I was like, never mind, the Weasleys (laughs) are correct. But also, we know that what they do is
1: not only inhumane, but it's ineffective. The gnomes start crawling back over the wall by the end of the day. I would point out that Harry also just trusts Ron. Like, he just trusts in his friend enough to know that, like, whatever he says must be the right thing, which is maybe one of those downsides of friendship a little bit. Especially in Harry's case, because he's a little ignorant of the ways of the wizarding world. So he has to trust someone else's perspective on this. Yeah, it's not effective. It's super violent. And all I kept thinking is, where is Ron getting his information from? Harry trusts Ron, but who is Ron trusting in this situation? He says it does not hurt the gnome. So what if he throws one and they land on the fence and, like, get impaled? I think that would hurt the gnome. One of those gnomes could have died if he hit the stump Instead of going past the stump, George or Fred, whichever one of you was trying to get past the stump, like they could have cracked their little gnome skull open. I don't know enough about the gnomes not to be on the gnome side in this situation. It just made me think about in friendships, sometimes we do things that we don't like to do or that we sometimes don't think is right. And sometimes being a good friend to yourself means speaking up for yourself and asserting those boundaries, which Harry didn't do because he didn't have any. He was just there for a good time, which is. (laughs) Typical 12-year-old boy stuff. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, it makes me wonder what Lockhart's book
2: says about denoming a garden, right? Because Fred and George are like, no, mom, you don't need to look it up. We know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And maybe they know how they like to do it. But again, it's obviously at minimum ineffective and at most like deeply, deeply violent. And so not that Lockhart necessarily gives great advice in anything he's written, but I just like wonder what other expert advice is on how to denome a garden. Me too. I agree with you. This is a great metaphor for the complicity that you can get in in friendship.
1: Can we also talk about another a misstep in friendship, if you will? It's when Harry leaves Hedwig behind in the house. I was so surprised. I actually went back. I was like, I know I read that wrong. I was like, maybe Hedwig just made a noise when they let her out the cage. and that's No, like, he was about to get in that car and leave that bird in the house. And Hedwig was like, no, come get me. I was so surprised by that. That's his first friend, his only friend in that house the whole time. And he was doing such a good job taking care of her in, like, the earlier chapters of, like, feeding her and, like talking to her when she got restless, defending her when Uncle Vernon got mad, and he just left her behind. I don't really have much to say about this except my rant of like, how dare you leave, leave Hedwig behind. But friendship is also about making mistakes and correcting them because he immediately went back and got her when she spoke up for herself. So yeah, that's my rant, but I would like your thoughts on that, Vanessa. Oh, it's
2: horrifying. I mean, one of the things I can say is, like, it, like, seems typical middle school behavior if we are thinking about Hedwig, most importantly, as Harry's friend, that, like, a friend you're more excited to see comes around and you hurt Mm. the friend who you were already hanging out with, right? A rule in my house growing up was you can never cancel plans for better plans, Mm. which implicit in that rule was that sometimes, quote unquote, better plans, plans that feel better come around. And like Ron showing up is just more exciting than thinking about Hedwig. And I think that we all have that more base version of ourselves where there are some friendships that feel more exciting or more complimentary. And so we ditch the people who we can count on and who are always there for us for the new shiny thing.
1: Mm. Friendship is also about forgiveness. We know that Hedwig eventually forgives Harry. She forgives Harry multiple times throughout All these books. All the time. All the time. I was really fascinated this time about Mr. Weasley's job and how he has one other person in his office with him. And I started wondering, like, are they friends? Like, they spend a lot of time together. They're the only people doing this job that no one really wants to do and no one really respects that much. And I know Perkins is a bit older than him I kind of just want to talk about friendship in terms of like coworkers. Like, I wonder how to effectively develop a friendship among coworkers or develop a friendship out of a casual situation.
2: Some of the most pleasant friendships I've had have been situational, right? And they're people who you're friends with because you're roommates, because you can't afford an apartment on your own and you meet each other on Craigslist mm-hmm. or because, yeah, you're sitting next to each other. And first of all, I think that Perkins and Mr. Weasley definitely have a deep attachment to each other. Mm-hmm. Perkins helps Mr. Weasley later in the series, right? He gives Mr. Weasley the information that the trial is moved. You're right. They seem to be two people who help each other out. And I, I think sometimes we only get tested about whether or not the friendship is gonna emerge after the situation has changed. But I also just wanna advocate that it's okay to allow friendships to be temporary in that way, right? Like Matt would talk about the importance of loving your neighbor. And like, we have really good relationships with all of our neighbors. And if we were to move, I wouldn't keep in touch with them, but I would hope to become a really good neighbor to my new neighbors, right? And so I think that it's just important, as you were saying, to be kind to people who we don't necessarily like, because we are coworkers and everyone deserves our respect and our kindness, and to be a good neighbor, regardless of whether or not you're friends. I think that friendship is sometimes the wrong thing to ask from someone who you're sharing an office with. What do you think of that?
1: I think that all of that makes a lot of sense. I especially love what you said about allowing friendships to be temporary, like allowing things to kind of fall apart as they will or just move on naturally as they do. I feel like before we wrap up this conversation, we have to talk about Ginny. Yes.
2: Because Ginny in this chapter is so shy of Harry that she like cannot get herself to be in the same room as him, right? She like flips over the butter. She just like can't get herself to say a word. And we know that later in the books, she is going to pull off becoming friends and then more than friends with Harry Mm -hmm. because of a piece of advice from Hermione, which is date other people, play it cool, right? And again, like Ron is doing the opposite, right? He's not playing it cool. He's not looking (laughs) for other friends. He's going hard for (laughs) Harry. But that is the advice that Ginny needs. Mm -hmm. And I think that that just shows that like friendship is so individuated. Like you just... What works for one dynamic does not work for another dynamic.
1: Yeah, like, Harry's eventual friendship with Ginny is going to be entirely different than his friendship with Ron for multiple reasons, but they're just going to have a whole different level of intimacy. And I think that is also an important lesson in friendship is to not expect the same things from everyone. You brought up a good point of Ron where Ron is, like, all in on this Harry guy. Like, Harry knows all his secrets. Harry knows all his feelings. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But... For some friendships, we need to get our extroverted time with someone. We need to get our introverted time with someone else. Like, I am not the friend who is going to invite you to a big extravaganza or go out clubbing with you. But I am the friend who is going to, if you want to sit and watch hours and hours of Netflix together and not feel guilty about it, I will order the Chinese food and, like, I will be here for you any time of day (laughs) that you want to do that. That also brings up a good point of just recognizing your strengths in the friendship. Yeah, I like Ginny is the only one who can help Harry solve something that he's been confused about in book five because of her life experiences. And Hermione pops up all the time with a different perspective because of just being the wise witch that she is all the time. So yeah, I like that Ginny teaches us that you need different things from different people. In this book itself, jenny teaches me that being shy is not a reason to think that you are alone or lonely like jenny starts out like super shy but that doesn't mean she's not deserving of love and friendship she becomes like the most popular witch at school within like two years or so so to me it's a lesson just being yourself and hey she still gets the guy
2: in the end i love tracing jenny throughout this book right because she also like Goes for it with Harry, right? She sends the Valentine. Yes. You know, and then she pulls back. So I think that the other thing that's wonderful about friendship, because we don't formally break up with people in friendships, you have the room to like come on too strong, like sending a Valentine with the dancing troll or whatever she does and then walk it back right if if harry and Ginny had gone on three dates and then she sent that valentine he would break up with her (laughs) but because they're in this like not that place right like the relationship has more elasticity to it which i think is one of the most beautiful things about friendships is that we can you know wax and wane in each other's lives
1: it makes me realize that friendship is also a choice it's just a mutual decision that two people make to just be in each other's lives and care about each other until one or both of them decide to not make that decision anymore yeah wow i continue to choose friendships in my life i choose to be myself like jenny and to love my friends in the ways that i can love them and be supportive in a crisis and yeah just be the best friend that i can be
2: Today, we're doing pardace, and I'm going to pick a sentence at random. Okay, I found my sentence. Just muggle-baiting, sighed Mr. Weasley. So, step one of pardace is pshat, where we ask ourselves what is literally going on in this sentence, what the intended meaning is. What would you say is going on here?
1: Mr. Weasley is answering a question from one of his sons about why someone would make shrinking keys and give them to non-magic people. Yeah. And he's
2: saying, right, it's like just cruelty. Yeah. For the sake of cruelty. Just for funsies. Yeah. And like that there's a term muggle-beating, right? Yeah. Like it seems like this is a a term in the wizarding world.
1: Yeah. No one follows up with what's (laughs) muggle-beating. Right. So, Step, Two
2: of Pardes is Remez, where we pick a word from the sentence and just trace it throughout the books and see what meanings it has throughout the books. So it's a short sentence. So I'm wondering which you would like to use, Jilly. Just muggle-beating, side Mr. Weasley.
1: I want to be really extra and pick the word just. But I'm going to go with muggle this time. (laughs) (laughs) Just is a great word. But okay, I
2: muggle is interesting. Even just in this book, right? There's a sentence in an earlier chapter about like a bigger group of muggles you'll never know than the
1: Dursleys. And I take offense to that as a muggle. You know what I no- <laughs> you know. what I noticed in this book? The chapter before when Harry gets his letter from the Ministry of Magic, they use the term muggle in the letter. And I'm just like, wait, so it's not just like a colloquial term. It's like, oh, this is official. Like, this is the official word that we use for these people who we just don't consider people in this situation. And I found that really surprising how, like, the government is also, like, into this whole classifying and declassifying of groups of people which we see get extreme in later books as we go on like it just shows me how insidious language can be like it can start out one way and then it just gets to be a completely different thing
2: i'm also just thinking right like later in the books we're going to see the wizarding community have to obliviate the muggles in book four or, you know, in book one, they were talking about how dragons are classified as magical creatures. And they're constantly having to obliviate muggles for sightings from that, right? Like muggles are someone who are like often in the way, like we have to hide from them. They're definitely looked down upon in a pretty significant
1: way. Mr. Weasley talks about obliviating a muggle in this in this yeah. same page. Like he just had to yeah. obliviate so many muggles all night long. <laughs> yeah. So step three
2: is drosh, where we say if this was our piece of text that we had to preach on, what lesson would we want to pull? And so the sentence one more time is just muggle beating," sighed Mr. Weasley.
1: The sigh kind of comes to mind in this moment about even the things that exhaust us can also energize us because Mr. Weasley loves his job. And he's going to go back and do the same thing again tomorrow. And the last thing he Mm -hmm. wants is to not lose his job. That's the last thing Molly wants as well. It's the first thing she said when she saw that car. I think that it's okay to be a little tired of things, even when those things are our hobbies. My lesson that I would preach upon is that excitement and exhaustion go hand in hand. And it's a matter of balancing the two. That That is my lesson. I love that.
2: I am going to take a page out of your book and I would preach about the word just, that we should be suspicious of ourselves when we use the word just in this way, like just checking in and just following up, right? Usually it's a word that means the opposite. Just muggle baiting. Muggle baiting is a big deal. And I want us to be suspicious when we use that word, what are we trying to undermine within ourselves or what we are attempting to do when we use the word just? I feel like we hide around words like that. So step four is sewed, where we see if this conversation is shaken loose, some sort of secret to us. And so the sentence one more time is just muggle baiting, sighed Mr. Weasley. Something occurred to me, which is that To bait something is to try to catch it, right? Mm -hmm. And that, it's not just the word just that is insufficient. It's the word baiting, right? They're not baiting people to try to catch them. They are playing with them. You don't catch a muggle, you torment them, right? You bait something in order to bring it in, You know, you bait your kid to take their vitamin by, you know, promising them dessert after. Or you bait in order to catch a fish so you have something to eat, Mm -hmm. right? But this is just, this is just cruel. So I feel like Mr. Weasley is hiding behind words twice here.
1: Did a secret emerge for you, Jelly? Yeah, kind of close to what you were saying, but a little different. It's just that there's danger everywhere. Like... You're you're a muggle just minding your own business and this teapot is gonna to try to bite you or your keys are gonna shrink up and disappear and no one's gonna believe you about like what you're experiencing, which happens to women all the time in this world, and people of color all the time when they talk about their experiences and people just want you to oblivate it, like they don't want you to remember it. I'm also thinking about Mr. Weasley, his job in catching the muggle baiters. He was almost hexed that night. Like, as he's getting home, he just casually mentions like, oh, I almost got a hex while my back was turned. And he's going to have to go back and do it again tomorrow because people are going to keep muggle-baiting tomorrow. And it just made me think to just protect yourself. There- there's danger everywhere. Protect yourself and believe in your own experiences, even if no one else will, because no one cares about Mr. Weasley's job either.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you for doing the spiritual practice with me.
1: I feel good. I feel like I just, like, solved my whole crisis about friendship and I learned some new things about words and Mr. Weasley. Like, I feel great. I love it.
2: Well, it's time for our voicemail this week. And this week's voicemail
0: is from Amanda. Hello, Harry Potter Sacred Text team. As I've listened to this season, I've thought a lot about all of the ways that Petunia and Vernon harm both Harry and Dudley by preventing them from becoming friends or from having a sibling-like relationship. Maybe Petunia does this to try to make sure that Dudley avoids experiencing the same heartbreak that she did when Lily got her Hogwarts letter and left for Hogwarts, or maybe Dudley is just mimicking Petunia's dislike and mistreatment of Harry. Either way, both Dudley and Harry are robbed of a childhood friendship with each other. I wonder what you think about how differently both their childhoods would have been if they had grown up laughing and playing together instead of kept apart. Would Dudley have ever become a bully? Would Harry have written Dudley letters about Hogwarts or maybe sent him magical treats? It's hard to say. With all of that in mind, I'd like to bless Dudley and anyone else who has to unlearn things their parents taught them from a young age. I hope that with unlearning comes healing and peace.
1: Mm. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to everybody unlearning stuff their parents taught them.
2: Oh God. So shout out to everyone.
1: Basically. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good question though.
2: It is a really good question. And I mean, yeah, it's such a missed opportunity that Harry and Dudley are, they're the same age and living in the same house and they could just have, such a different relationship to me. It just speaks about intergenerational trauma and like family dynamics and how, how much of an uphill battle it is to pull yourself out of cycles like that. I feel like my relationships with my cousins, which they're not good relationships. If ever I were to trace them, I'm a hundred percent sure that the toxicity like in our generation is a hundred percent because We were raised by Holocaust survivors, Mm -hmm. right? And so there was just, like, a sense of limited resources, including in love and attention, right? These are really hard systems to break out of. And so it does not surprise me that Petunia is trying to raise her son to believe that he's better than magical people because she felt lesser than yeah. What do you think, Julie?
1: Well, first, I really love what Amanda pointed out about how what if Petunia in her own way is just trying to protect her son from her own heartbreak. And that really is what happens with our parents when they let their fear dictate their parenting. They're really at the end of the day just trying to protect us and the only way they know how which is just to keep us avoiding whatever they've experienced. I would like to add to this that there is also a possibility that Dudley and Harry still would not have been friends. I grew up in the same house as my sister. She was my biggest bully. Like growing up, no one taught her to bully me. That was just how she felt in her life. Is just like, who is this little person? I was here first. Like I don't, I don't want her around. But as we've grown older, we've gotten so much closer. Like we're reliving our childhood moments. We're watching cartoons together that we watched when we were kids, and like. We're laughing about our memories. We're making fun of our mom together. It's great. (laughs) Like, it's wonderful. I would say that sometimes friendships come later. They come later in life. And maybe it does take getting out of the same house, whether it's a house that was pretty normal for me or filled with really abusive parents like Dudley and Harry. Maybe they needed to get out and figure out who they were on their own. And we know later on from fandoms and from... Things that have been said throughout the Harry Potter universe that Dudley and Harry do form some kind of relationship after they've gotten older. And maybe that will grow into a friendship down the road. I have faith for Harry and Dudley. And I have faith for Harry and Dudley together in their relationship, but also as individuals, that they will overcome the trauma that they experienced in number four, Privet Drive.
2: I agree. Here, here.
1: It is now time for us to remember the friends and family of our community lost due to COVID. Hisako, 89, saw the good in people. Ricky Lamb, age 40, Edmonton's fan guy, a friend to all. Alex Pierce, age 35, a disc golf fan who served in youth and family ministry. Stephanie Clark, 53, supremely sarcastic, creative, and the mother of Asher. John Calvin, age 64, a father, grandfather, and spiritual accompanist. And from my life, Deacon James Anthony Redd, a father, a husband, and a best friend. May their memories be a blessing to everyone who loved them.
2: Well, Jolie, it's now time for us to offer blessings to characters in this chapter. Who would you like to bless?
1: I would like to bless Hedwig because when she sees herself being left behind, she speaks up for herself. She squawks loudly. Vernon sleep. Who cares? She's like, you're not leaving me here. I would like to bless everyone who speaks up for themselves, even when they feel as if they shouldn't. Justice for Hedwig, women of Harry Potter. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love that so much. I would like to bless Percy
2: Percy is just in isolation in this chapter. He, I would imagine, was not invited on this grand adventure. He probably would have tattled. So, you know, he probably created that a little bit for himself. But there's just like no outreach to him that we know of in this chapter. Harry doesn't even see him. Like he's just in his room. I'm just, I'm worried that he is isolated. And I would like to bless everybody who feels
1: isolated, especially right now. Like me. But yes, blessings for everyone who feels isolated.
2: Well, next week, we are going to be reading chapter four at Flourish and Blots through the theme of patience, which was a theme suggested by Bryn. Thank you so much, everyone you have been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We just have a few reminders before we give our thanks. We have a virtual live event in just a few days. It is on October 7th. It is a virtual live event. It is with Casper, me, and Matt, and we're so excited. It is going to be a party and a half. So please come, notsorryworks.com, and click on our events in order to buy your ticket. We would like to offer a huge thanks to Jolie Doggett this week, and we're so excited to have you Back and to have you back again soon. We are a Not Sorry production, a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. We are edited and produced by AJ Uramas. Our engineer is Erica Wong, and our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. We are distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank Amanda for this week's voicemail, Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Turkail, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones who were lost due to COVID. Thank you, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. The Jolie edition.
1: Without Matt. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. We like you, Matt.
2: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimald Place. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.